0: Hey, good morning, how are we doing this this morning, this kind of cloudy morning, how are we doing? Okay, I love it, I love it. Well, if you're not warmed up after Donnie's announcements, I don't know what else would uh, warm you up. I love that man, I love how he leads with his heart and he's just real, you know? That's what we wanna be, we wanna be real here. Um, and so, uh, as he said, my name is Joe Polino and it is just such a joy to be together with you guys this uh, Sunday morning. Uh, and like he said, we are in day 14 of a 21-day uh, prayer and fast. Um, and so we are entering into our final week. I'm excited for this, kind of considered almost like this holy experiment of this 24-7 prayer just to see how, how we do. Um, but just as a quick reminder, like, why do we fast? Like, why are we doing this? Um, number one is that we love Jesus and that Jesus modeled prayer and fasting. He, dis- he modeled it for his disciples to follow and we are his disciples today. So we don't just believe, oh, we think that's a good idea. As disciples, we actually believe that's a good idea and we try to put it into practice, right? So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to grow in this practice. And as we do, as we follow the way of Jesus, we actually become more like him. So it's, it's a spiritual formation part that we become more like Jesus, but it's not only that. But wait, there's more. Like really, there is, because there is that formation part, but there's also this part where we get to commune with him, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's even better than, you know, I get to become more like Jesus. It's like they're they're both and. Like we have uh, Christ in us, the hope of glory, and when we fast, it turns down some of the noise. It's not that it's not painful, it's not easy, but it's always what I've found always worth it. And even in times where you, you might have a, a hard week or a day, or maybe the whole fast is just like, I'm doing this and I don't know what's happening. I don't feel it. Like God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow and you're gonna sow in. Uh, way, your, your investment is gonna be a return that um, is just gonna be multiplied, Amen. So that's why we fast, and, and, and this is our fifth year in a row to do this, to start the year. So I just, I love that. I love that there's like some, like a tradition in this, um, and I'm not like, if you want to talk about spiritual disciplines, fasting is my least favorite. Really, it's one of my least favorite. I, I like food, um, and uh, this time of year, media fast is hard because I really like football. Really like football, So it's not easy, but I can say this is still one of my favorite things we do every year because it just, uh, I get to taste more of of that relationship with Jesus and I get to do it together with my church family and we get to see God do amazing things. So I just want to say if this is your first time here, jump on in, ride the wave on the last week and participate with us. This year, our theme for the fast as we were praying about it was surrendering to Jesus, And it wasn't just our church staff that prayed about it. Other Antioch churches that we're in relationship with felt like this word surrender was over and over again, uh, just being brought forth. Um, And in particular, our daily prayer in the prayer booklet that we pray every single day is, Jesus, I surrender fill in the blank to you today and trust in you. Um, And I can just say that prayer uh, has felt like you go to the doctor for a checkup and he puts you on the operating table. And it's like, oh, we gotta, we gotta work on a few things. Because I go into it thinking, okay, Jesus, what do you have? And it's not always this way, but it's like putting, putting your, your soul, like, Lord, would you search me and know me? Like it says in Isaiah 39, would you test my anxious thoughts? And God has just been showing up in amazing ways. Anyone else feel like they had a little heart surgery this week, a little bit? That's good, that's good. Uh, it can be painful, but um, he's a good physician that's like, I'm taking I'm taking this poison out, or I'm taking this part of this, and I'm making you more whole. Uh, and the metaphor that we've used or we've rallied around, Donnie mentioned it, is this phrase, drop the oars. So say it with me, drop the oars. Drop the oars, drop the oars okay? So what does that mean? Well, uh, because Dallas is such a uh, marine city, right? There's so much, um, so much boat imagery to go around. No, um, if you were to go to White Rock Lake, uh, you might find a rowboat of some kind, but even think about like the old Viking warships and these like rows of, of, of oars. What does an oar do? An oar will propel the boat forward using the strength of the people rowing it. An oar will also steer or guide Um, a ship or a boat. Um, And so if you're in a boat, the rudder is actually called the steering oar, okay? Or if you're in an actual kayak or boat, you can steer with that oar. And then the other thing that an oar can do is that if it's not very good, I don't think, but if you wanna protect yourself or protect your boat, you can whack at somebody with that oar. And so when we say drop our oars, we're trying to... um, lean into the places of our own strength and our own wisdom and our own protection and saying, God, I'm I'm straining at the oars to provide what I need to get me there, or even like power myself through this, or I'm trying to will my own plans. And we're just saying, I want to surrender that to you. I want to drop my oar. Does that make sense? And I said this last week, like For my kids, like as they're growing up, they're moving from dependence, you know, where they're very dependent on me. Like our five-month-old is extremely dependent on everything in life. Um, But as he grows up, like I'm going to celebrate him going to to more and more um, experiences of independence. You know, changing, you know, not changing his own diaper, like not needing a diaper. (laughs) That would be uh, unnecessary at that point. But he's, he's, you know, he's dressing himself and he's, he's learning new things. And we want to celebrate out of the parent because you want him to grow up and mature. Well, maturity in Christ actually is flipped. It's that we start from a place of independence because we're separated from God. But then the gospel brings us closer together. And so the more we mature in Christ, we grow up into the head who's Jesus and we actually become more dependent on him. Okay, and so when we, when we drop our oars, this is us leaning more into dependency on Jesus. Um, so here's some things that uh, I've learned. So what have been some of the oars you have had? I will share some oars. I'll, I'll share two. Um, one oar of mine has been my children's well-being and development. That God is not saying to abdicate that responsibility to be a responsible parent. No, not by any means but to release the control of, okay, God, is my, is my five-year-old gonna be in the right school? Uh, is she gonna be developed the right way in reading and all these things, just these things I found were anxious in me. And I said, Jesus, I surrender my straining at the oars for my kids. And that was a deep one. So that was one for me. Another one is just fear of failure. I wanna do a good job at my job, why? So that the church would thrive, so that Jesus would be exalted and people would be loved. That doesn't sound like bad things. Those are all good things. But I just found that there's still a mixture of achievement in my identity this week. Like if I'm doing great, I feel good about myself. If I'm doing bad, then I'm, and Jesus is like, you gotta take that out. I'm taking that out. I'm taking it out. And I was like, I thought I did. He's like, I'm, I'm going deeper. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I, I just wanna say again, like, and being vulnerable here even deeper still, it's not just about identifying them, but at this point, you've probably identified oars that you cannot change yourself. You can't change your own heart. It was like, great, I know that's an issue. Uh, I, Lord, I drop it, but it's there again. It's almost like you drop it in the water and the Lord's like, yeah, you have a whole backup you know, stashed under the deck. You know, And you're like, oh yeah, I didn't even know those were there. Um, but I think like, like I, you can't change your own heart. And I feel frustrated and ashamed because of this. But again, the gospel is about leaning more into dependence on Christ and his righteousness and his work in you. And so what I've found is that I've been met by God's patience and kindness in, in, in my shame. And even this week in Staff Life Group, Um, Someone pointed out that in 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love, says the first two descriptors of love is is love is patient and love is kind. And that's who God is. And so if you feel shame for your oars, or you're like, so-and-so's oar is like a good oar. Mine's like, you know, I want something sinful over here. Like God's patient, God's kind, and his grace is for us in this. Does that make sense? So just want to say again, we're going to the last week of the fast. Let's lean in, let's jump in together. And it's and this fast has been less, God, would you do something for me or for somebody? And more would you do something in me? But this last week is let's do something, do God, do something in us. That's why we wanted to do something collaborative, like 24-7 prayer. Like no one, not no one can do 24-7 prayer for the whole week. But we can we can make his efforts to do it together, okay? So um, yeah, Donnie already talked about the 24-7 prayer and fast. You can go to our website if you wanna sign up and pick a prayer slot. So today I wanna share with you a scripture that's been an encouragement to me over the years, and I wanna share it with you. So if you uh, will um, turn in your Bibles to Joshua 5, 13. I think if you have the, black hardback um, Bibles that are under the seats in front of you. I think it's page 172. So this is Joshua chapter five. And what I feel like God wants to say to us through this is that Jesus is inviting us to drop the oars to trust him as the leader, the holy one and the victorious one. That Jesus wants us to drop our oars to trust him as the leader the Holy One, and the Victorious One. So we haven't been in the book of Joshua, so let me speed you up to where we are in chapter five. So in the book of Joshua, Moses, who uh, led the people, led the, led the people, who are the people? I'll tell you. Uh, Moses um, led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. God chose Moses to lead him out. Um, he was God's, uh, chosen deliverer, but he also was their lawgiver. He was their judge. He was their shepherd. He was a songwriter. He was an amazing man of God. Um, and, but in the midst of that, as he was leading the Israelites from Egypt into the promised land, uh, the people of God didn't obey what God said. And as a result, when they said no to going into Canaan because of the giants in the land and because of the enemies there, that God said, you will not enter into the promised land and you will wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So they have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years at this point. Moses himself, uh, in, a, in, a, in a part of that journey, struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock, which we won't go into, but he himself also is not entering into the promised land. But there's uh, Moses' assistant, his aide, the commander of the military is a man named Joshua. And Joshua was with Moses all the time. And when Moses would go to the tent of meeting, it says in uh, Exodus 33, 11, it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but then catch this, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. He would linger, linger a little bit longer, like Donnie said, he would linger a little bit longer in the presence of God. And so here's what we know about Joshua. Joshua was a friend of God. He, was, he loved the presence of God, um, and that Joshua um, was also um, a military commander. so he was one who would go out and fight the battles for Israel. And so Joshua is installed as the new leader, and in Joshua one, this is what God says to jo- uh, this is what God says to Joshua. He says, "Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you." I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them." So this is where, I, I don't know, this is where I just love this story because it gets, it gets interesting. So Joshua says, okay, uh, Lord, what do you want us to do? And he says, I want you to cross the Jordan River. Now at this point, they are in the wilderness. They're gonna cross the Jordan River And God, what he does is that he tells them to take the Ark of the Covenant, step into the Jordan River at flood time. And then he says, I'm I'm gonna stop the waters. And so in the Red Sea parted, it was down the middle that God caused a way for the Israelites to cross over out of danger into safety. But this time there's not enemies at their heels. There's no one chasing them. So they could have built a boat. They could have built rafts and they could have gone over the Jordan River but you wanna talk about drop your oars. He was like, drop the boat. You don't need the boat. Like I'm going to, as I step out, the Ark of the Covenant, like I'm gonna step out, I'm gonna make a way through the river. And so he, uh, so God causes the river to stop flowing and the people walk across the Jordan River. And he does that to say to Joshua and the rest of the people, I'm with Joshua as I was with Moses, but I'm also going to be with you. So that's number one. So that happens. And then before we get to Joshua 5, the interesting thing is, is that the next thing that God says, as the people of God are in enemy territory, so the same land where there are giants, where there are uh, enemies that uh, are around, here is uh, Joshua's military um, strategy. I'm gonna obey what God says. What does God say to do? He says, all of the men in the wilderness were not circumcised, so it's time to take care of that. So, circumcised all the men in enemy territory. Seems uh, a little vulnerable, if you will, okay? Um, There's a lot of uh, jokes I will refrain from saying. Um, But that does not seem like a good plan, Uh, you know? Like it, uh, you know, privates, here you go, line up and uh, we will, there you go. That's as far as I'm gonna go. That's as far as I'm gonna go. But like, think about that. Think about what, I mean, we read the story of scripture. We're like, yeah, you know, okay. I'm, I'm trying to track a lot. Just picture yourself like in enemy, ter- in enemy territory and your whole military is sick and vulnerable. So God's wisdom uh, and, and, and not man's. They were dropping their oars as they were following across the Jordan River. This generation is different than the one in the wilderness. Another thing that was different, the next thing that God says right before we're about to read where we are in in Joshua 5 is after they were circumcised, they celebrated the Passover. So it says, I want you to do this purification ritual, which you're gonna need to heal from and you're gonna be very vulnerable. And then I want you to throw a party, remembering when I delivered you from, uh, from Egypt. Now, why would God do that? Think about it. Why would God do that? I think for us, for me, when I think about plans, I'm like, okay, I need the right strategy. I need the right resources and I need the right people. But God's like, you need to go one step before that. And I need you to um, focus on the, the covenant relationship that you have with me. And just the question, do you trust me or not? Because if that's not there, it doesn't really matter what plans you have after that. Like, I want your heart. And so what God does as they enter into this, inheriting of the land is that he says, I I want your heart. And he tests their heart. And this generation, instead of saying no, says yes, we're gonna do that. So let's be a people like that. And so then, so that brings us up to speed. I know it's a lot of context, but oh man, Uh, it's just so rich because yeah, I'll explain more about why it's so rich. But Joshua five, verse 13, let's read it together. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant?" The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So again, what do I feel like God wants to show us in this passage, Jesus invites us to drop the oars, to trust him as leader, as the holy one, and as the victorious one. As leader, holy one, and victorious one. And the way we're gonna kind of walk through this is three questions. Who is this man that Joshua encountered? What's with the sandals, okay? And then what does this mean for us? All right, so let's look. Who is this man? Let's go back to verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? So imagine this, Joshua is scoping out the land because there are to go to war. They're to take the city of Jericho. So he's probably scouting out the land. He sees a man with a drawn sword coming up. So he's like, what's up, bro? What's up? Like, who are you? Are you for me or against me? Are you a friend or foe? Are you a threat? And then this is the reply. He says, neither. Or if you're reading in the ESV, it just says no. No. Like, it's the wrong question. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground. So this is interesting, it's just interesting to me because Joshua is the commander of the army of the Lord, right? Like he's the commander of Israel. So he was the commander actually before Moses, so now he's definitely the, the commander. So couldn't Joshua have said, Who do you think you are? Like that's my job. And risen up in pride, but he recognizes that the army that, that this man is in charge of is not the physical army of the Lord, it's the spiritual army of the Lord. He recognizes that he's in the presence of um, possibly God, but definitely an angel, which we'll get to. So he recognizes that he's in the presence of someone who's holy and greater than. And in that moment, You know, he has a, he has a, he has a, uh, a choice. You know, if you're faced with a threat, you probably heard of fight or flight or freeze, right? When you're in the presence of God, you got to add another F, that's face down. Okay, really, you know, it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of funny. But really, I mean, that's like, what other response is there? And I think we've been going through these passages the past few few weeks and looking at Mark 6 last week about Jesus, and it's like, you know, when I read the Gospels, there's something about his accessibility that just makes me want to love him more. But then he has these moments where it's like, oh, you're not uh, just my homeboy. Like that that, that T-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy? No, no, like, yeah, that's part of it. But you are holy, holy, holy. And I just love what he says here of like, when Joshua asks him, are you for me or are you you for our enemies? He just says, no, I've come. In other words, I haven't come to take sides. I've come to take over. And you need to ask yourself the question, are you with me? And Joshua goes face down. So why is this important for us today? Why Why is this impactful for us? Well, actually before then, let me, Let me go a little bit deeper. Who is this man? Um, I believe that this man is actually Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And I'm gonna explain why in just a second. Um, Some um, theologians call this a a Christophany. Uh, So just Christ,ophany is appearing. So Christ appearing in the Old Testament before he's a, a baby in Bethlehem. And I don't know about you, any any of you, you read the Old Testament and you're just like, okay, like there's some good things in here. I'm a little confused. Then you get the New Testament. I'm like, okay, Jesus, Jesus. I think the more we grow and the more we want to mature in the scriptures, we want to be able to see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. People pointing to Jesus. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. But here we're even introduced to him before he's a baby in Bethlehem. And why do I say that? Well, for one, it's what uh, the it's what the man says. He says, um, when Joshua falls face down, uh, he doesn't tell the man to get up. He says, this is holy ground, you need to take your sandals off. And this reminds me in the book of Revelation, where the uh, uh, disciple John, the apostle John, is writing uh, about an experience that he had where he's taken up in the spirit to heaven, and he sees Jesus. And it says this in Revelation 1, 17 through 18, John says, when I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. So that was the experience of seeing Jesus. He laid face down as though dead and Jesus said, fear not, but he didn't tell him to get up. Later on in the book of Revelation, In chapter 22, John falls down again in worship at the feet of an angel, not Jesus. And this is what he says. It says in Revelation 22, verses eight through nine, I, John, am the one who has heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of an angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Worship God. So he is in the presence of, who I think Jesus, but it's a holy moment. Now, why does this matter to us? There's so many things I could say, but I think the thing that I really felt like the Lord pressed on my heart just to exhort us in and encourage us in is that we all need to behold Jesus as glorious, as holy, as high and lifted up and one of the ways you would say that is that he is our leader, but he's also the one that we have fear of. We have a holy fear of, and I call it fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord. And let me give you a little example from my own life of why I think this is important. I remember when I was in uh, crucial times in my life, really this is, I can give a more recent example, but the most profound one is when I was in college and I was, uh, I, I have a tendency to, um, go to anxiety in my mind. So I love to play baseball. It was, um, man, my my playing year round was kind of my deal in high school. Towards the end, I was anxious about performing and I got what they call the yips. Anyone know what the yips are? Okay, it's when you have done a very simple task a thousand times, of like throwing a baseball, like from here to you know that pole, but because of anxiety, something happens in your brain and you can't even do that simple thing. And so, like I'm just saying, like just, just from from that experience to uh, panic attacks in college over what major to have, just to say, like this has been part of my journey in anxiety. One of the antidotes to that for me has been fear of the Lord. And so I'm just gonna take you in to, um, to why this has been such an antidote to me because those anxieties are rooted in some sort of fear over something that I think is really big. And so I have the problem as big, but God is really small. And if you flip that, things start to change. When God is really big and your problem is small, you begin to have wisdom. Uh, our kids uh, were, were, my wife, um, who's not here, but she is uh, amazing at instilling the scripture in our kids' hearts. And so the first scripture that they memorized was Proverbs 9, 10 through 11. And I'm gonna sing how we memorized it for you, okay? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And through your wisdom, your days will be many. Oh, I messed it up, messed it up, Okay. And years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. Proverbs 9, 10, 11, and 12. Okay, so I kind of butchered it. I kind of butchered it a little bit. Thank you. Y'all are very gracious. But we hid that in their heart of like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. Like Just like we want them to start from a ground of, of God is big. Your problems are small. Man, so I say, I'm, gonna, I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna go in a little bit deeper on this because I feel like this is important for us to get. Isaiah 40, 15, it's not on the screen, so just follow along with me, but this is a, uh, th- Isaiah 40 and Job 40 are two anchors for me when I'm anxious, okay? So Isaiah 40, verse 15, this is about God. He says, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They, are, oh, sorry, I'm gonna start in verse 10. Verse 10, here we go. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young, who has, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales, or hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely even the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales and weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. I would just read that over and over again. I was like, this doesn't solve my problem, but it puts it in perspective, okay? Just even imagining like the oceans, like, if you're, like when's the last time you've been to an ocean? It's like in the hollow of God's hand. The bigness of God, the fear of the Lord, he is our leader, and when we fall face down, that is a place for us to face our problems with wisdom. You guys with me? Okay, so that's number one. Jesus is our leader. That is a place of security and comfort that we want to lean in on, all right? So number two, what is the deal with the sandals? What is the sandals all about? What is with the sandals? Okay, so in verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy, and Joshua did so. So what does this mean, what's going on here? Well, when you hear about the sandals, this probably should remind you of another part in the Old Testament where God also says the ground is holy and you need to take your sandals off. And that's when God encountered Moses at the burning bush. In Exodus 3, verse 5, Moses, who at this point, can I just, well, oh, I love the grace of God. Moses is a murderer. He is a, uh, he's running away from his problems and he's about 80 years old. Okay? This is when God encounters him. The grace of God uses Moses, man, in in an amazing way. For the first 40 years of his life, he's a murderer. The next 40 years, he's a shepherd. He's a nobody. The next 40 years, God says, I'm going to use you as the deliverer to take my people out of Egypt. Come on. So that's what the grace of God can do. All right? So, As he is shepherding, he sees a bush that's burning, that's not being burned up. And this is what Exodus 3, 5 says. Out of the bush, God said, well, I'll just say that. "Do, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Okay, so, the sandal analogy. This is Joshua's burning bush moment. This is God. This is God coming to him and saying, I, "I'm. I'm. I've come, and I'm going to take it from here. I'm going to be with you." Okay. But I was just thinking, like, why the sandals? Like, I don't know if you ever read a scripture and there's this question that just keeps coming up, and you're like, okay, I feel like the Holy Spirit's trying to help me pay attention here. And so I was this this week just thinking about why sandals. Uh, and I thought about a few things, you know, maybe like just thinking about when I enter into someone's home, like taking off shoes sometimes is a sign of respect. Like maybe there's that, maybe there's something that's unholy about the dust of, you know, the, uh, on the bottom of the sandals. And, you know, uh, if you have thoughts, please come up. Like I, I don't have all the answers up here. So, but I wanna share this with you. This is what I felt like God helped me to focus in on, not the sandals, but the ground. It's the ground that's holy, it's the ground that's holy, and I was like, okay, so why is that significant? Because that was just dirt a few moments ago before the burning bush came. That was just dirt before Jesus came. Why, what is it about your presence that's making the ground holy? Why do I need to pay attention to that? And I just I just felt like the Lord is saying, you know, in the Old Testament, that is how I moved. I I occupied occupied a place. And I think in, the, in our day, like right now, like not just like talking about Bible as if like a history book, like right now, God visits places and that ground becomes holy. I don't know if you ever entered into, I, I pray our sanctuaries like that, where you enter into some place you're like, I feel like the peace of God is here. I feel like the presence of God is here. But what I wanna impress upon you is that he's not just making the ground holy anymore. He's making a people Holy. And when he says, I'm gonna build a house for all nations, that house is not in a room, it's not in a building, it's not in a holy of holies. Jesus, when he died on the cross and he paid our price for our sins, he reconciled us to God, that any who would believe in him, who call on his name would become a child of God and God would indwell in them. And we would be a temple, like you are a living stone that when we come together, we're built up as a temple of God, okay? So he's making us holy. So I think the, 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 the passage here is Ephesians 2, 19 through 21, just to drive this home. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, To God. So whether you were of Jewish heritage or not, you're no longer a stranger to this covenant, you're invited into this covenant, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household. You're members of this house if you're in Christ. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. That's who you are. That's who you are. And so as you're dropping your oars and you're just like, man, I just feel like I can't do this. You, God sees you right now and you are justified in Christ. And he's sanctifying us more and more so that we can make room for more of his spirit to have a hold of our hearts. Amen? Come on. So, and, and even just thinking about what they did at the beginning of crossing the Jordan and they circumcised the soldiers. I mean, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's funny in a way, but later on, uh, t- Jesus says, you know, a, 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 a true Israelite isn't one that's circumcised, you know, physically, is one of the heart. I wanna give you, instead of a, st- a heart of stone, a heart of flesh. That's what the gospel comes to do. And I've just been hearing so many people say that this fast is different because I'm being tenderized in my heart. God's cutting me. And he's preparing us for 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 whatever he's wanting us to do individually and as a church going forward. This is you know I I, I just I, I, when I was becoming uh, when I when I was praying about becoming lead pastor and I felt like okay this is what God's calling Amy and I to do. It's like okay Lord like what's the plan? You know I was I was what's the strategic plan? What's the big vision? And it, you know it was like kind of anticlimactic. It was like surrender. Twenty twenty three. You know it's like. Big picture vision. And, but as I thought about it, I was like, this is the exact thing that we need to start with. It's the exact thing we need to start with, right? So who is this man? It's Jesus. He's our leader. What's the deal with the sandals? It's really what's the deal with the ground. He's come to make us holy, He's come to make us holy for the nations, for the people of the world to see, to see who Jesus is. It's not just for ourselves, guys. It's for the world to see who Jesus is. So then the last one, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? And so we didn't read this part, but I'm just gonna go ahead. It's in, in Joshua six, verse two. So after the man, after Jesus encounters Joshua, he's face down, he takes off his sandals. This is what Joshua says. In verse, uh, this is what it says in Joshua six, verse two. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once for all the, with all the armed men, do this for six days. And he goes on to talk about this unorthodox strategy for taking the city of Jericho. And, The thing that struck me about this is that after Joshua has surrendered and he's come face down, that the marching orders for the people of Israel, it's familiar to us who've grown up in church. It's a very like powerful visual of, it's kind of nuts. Like it's weird, but this is what God's saying. But here's what he said. He said, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Remember, he's the commander of the Lord's angel army, of of the spiritual army. He said, the victory's already won. And here's how you're going to go about the victory. And so this has direct correlation with us, church, that Jesus is our victorious one, that he holds the keys to death in Hades, that he's overcome sin and death in the world on the cross. The victory has been won, but we, we are still at wartime. We are still in a place of conflict until he returns and there's still purpose for us as a church in Dallas, in our generation, with our kids, with our coworkers. There's purpose for us here. Like God's calling, like this the other thing, like Joshua wasn't looking for for Jesus. Jesus came to him. You know, we spent the whole last year saying, Jesus, would you encounter us? This is a time where Joshua wasn't asking. He came. I just feel like this is a time in history where God is moving sovereignly. He is moving in the, in the earth. He's moving, and it's not just like, man, I hope the church figures it out. I hope the church you know, has a good strategy. He is leading in front of us, and he's looking for people to follow him. You're like, well, where do you, where do you see this? Well, it's in a passage that maybe Acts 2.42 is 242, 47 is probably the most quoted <laughs> passage around this place, like in Antioch, Dallas. Number two is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it's a direct correlation to the authority and the victory that Jesus has. And then he says, and here's what you go do. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jericho, God says, I've have, I'm the victorious one. Go march around the city. And I'll, there's other instructions there. They did it. They said, yes. The previous generation said Said no, and they wandered. They said yes, and they inherited the land. Jesus says to the disciples, and he says to us today, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And, and you know, I know part of this is hard because it's like, well, yeah, you're you're the pastor, you should say those types of things. All of us are called to make disciples and all of you are equipped to do it. And you might not feel equipped to do it. It might seem crazy. Even if you're a new believer, it might seem crazy, but all authority and power is in him. And then he says, I will be with you. Those two promises bookend us, church, right? So just to encourage you, like God is stirring up things. There might not be an application for you today, but God's stirring up things in our hearts. He's tenderizing our hearts circumcising our hearts, if you will, again. And that there is, just don't be surprised if he shows up and there might be somebody that he puts on your heart to go and engage and to share your story with and just to love on and just say, hey, would you, you know, can I tell you about Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? Or like, have you ever read the Bible before? You want to read the gospel of John? Or it could be, I, I don't know why, but I just feel like, you know, God just put me on my heart. i just love to take you out to lunch to get to hear your story. Whatever those things are, it doesn't have to be weird or supernatural or like an angelic vision, but just see, see, like God is going to speak. I just believe like all over this room, he's gonna invite us into places to follow him because he's the victorious one. And just like uh, there's this phrase um, that my wife Amy has said to me over and over again during this season, because I, man, I can just kind of get caught up in the details and kind of get into anxiety. And she is like the cheerleader saying, "'It's gonna be good, it's gonna be good, it's gonna be good.'" And so that's been our chant. And it just reminds me of like the spies that went in the land of the promised land. And there were five, I think there were five spies that went and three came back and said, "'The giants are too big, we, you know, we're, gonna, we're gonna bow out of this one.'" But Joshua and Caleb were of a different spirit and they said, "'It's gonna be good.'" God is with us. And so I just want to say, it's going to be good. It is going to be good. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable all the time, but it's going to be good. It is going to be good. So just to recap, who is this man? It's Jesus, our leader. What is with the sandals? He is making us holy. He's making us holy. And then number three, what does this mean for us? Jesus is the victorious one and he's calling us to go with him not just to sit, but to go with them. So to close, um, I actually wanna invite my wife up to the stage. Can you give her a hand, Amy? Um, and and actually, band, if you wanna come on up, um, we're gonna respond uh, in just a moment. So this past weekend, like Donna mentioned, we were uh, at Antioch and Waco at a, prophetic gathering for the movement. And so um, they, different people who were the prayer point person for different Antioch churches went down there. We just said, let's go as a whole staff. So, uh, you know, we don't have like a prayer person, we're praying staff. So we all went down there and it was awesome. And uh, Amy felt like she got this word from the Lord uh, from Revelation 1 and she shared it with me. And I said, honey, do you realize that's the scripture that is in the prayer booklet for, for today? And so I just want her to, to lead us in to this, um, this prophetic word of response. And uh, yeah, take it away, honey.
1: Okay. I just wanna pray over us as we get ready to receive and enter into worship and um, as I share this. So um, would y'all just open your hands with me and um, just say, God, thank you for your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us that you are moving in and through people's hearts, our minds, our bodies, God, you are at work. You are present. And I say we want to um, join in with what you're doing, Lord. Not our own plan, not our own agenda. We want to we want to follow in your footsteps. We want to walk hand in hand with you, Jesus, and so say come holy spirit. Would you breathe life on the words in people's hearts and just, even right now, just sense like God speaking and moving in people's hearts in this moment? And a lot of you may be feeling like, I don't know, is that you? Is this right? I'm not sure. I just want to say, He He's speaking to your heart. Don't doubt it. Don't don't question the word of the Lord. He comes in the whispers very often pay attention to the whisper in your spirit if you know it lines up with his word then listen (laughs) and so um, just say we listen to you God, open our hearts up, give us the grace to release what needs to be released Lord and to take hold of what you're calling us to take hold of Jesus come I just want to share as um, yesterday while we were in um, kind of a ministry time, I felt like the Lord bringing things up in my heart and my spirit. And to be specific, because I think that just helps to know the context. Um, A lot of y'all know for the past year, Joe and I have been praying and asking God about um, a move Five minutes away <laughs> from our current home that we love, that we're very content with, but we felt like God calling us um, to a specific neighborhood and into this area um, to reach out as as a community, and um, and so it's been a year's journey, and we've shared it with many of you guys, and been searching and praying and hunting and just kind of like all right, Lord, <laughs> this is what we felt like you said. We're wanting to walk in faith. And so um, I think because of the time, because it's been a process, it's been really tender. And I think a lot of y'all can probably relate to those places where you feel like God gives you a word or a promise and you're in the middle of the waiting and you don't see the answer. And it can feel confusing at times or really vulnerable. <laughs> we're like, we've shared this with everyone and we haven't moved yet, but... We trust you, God. And so as I was um, just listening to the Lord yesterday, I feel like he gave me a picture where um, I'm standing face to face with Jesus and I could see him holding his hand out, waiting for me to give him something. And in my hand was this key. And I knew kind of in my mind that, you know, when you go, maybe to unlock your own door. Lots of times there's a certain way where you have to kind of lift the door and do some funny thing to get it to actually unlock. And so I knew I had been at this door trying to unlock it. And it was like, I don't know the special like lift and shift that's needed to open the door in a way. And, um, but here's Jesus with his hands open and He said, will you give me that key? And, Um, just, I handed it over and it was a gentle thing and he took it and immediately the door unlocked (laughs) and it was just like in a moment he was able to open it and um, when I looked in it was like I could see this beautiful garden inside and behind the door Um, And so for me, it just was so clear there are things related specifically to this move, to this thing that I feel like, this is God's promise, this is what he said. But so often I'm trying in my own way to take the plans of God and make them my own and turn it into what I see, what I'm visualizing. And he's saying, will you give me the key? I know how to, I know how to unlock the door. Um, And just even as I was, thinking about it more I was realizing like um when you get those words you can kind of envision okay so here's what it's gonna look like here's what it's gonna be and even funny in that vision I feel like a, okay a key to a door this is gonna be about a house you know and instead it's a garden I'm like, what what does that mean and he just reminded me of the garden is relationship I want your heart <laughs> and I want you to be connected to me in this way. And so um, he reminded me in Revelation 1, um, I'm just going to read a little before the the specific verse, but just to remind us of (laughs) he is the Lord. He is the Lord of these circumstances. And so um, it says, saw." The Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest, his head and hair were white like wool, glistening white like snow, and his all-seeing eyes were flashing like a flame of fire piercing into my being. His feet were like burnished, white, hot bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was powerful, like the sound of many waters. In his right hand... um, It skipped ahead. (laughs) In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp, two edged sword of judgment. His face reflecting his majesty, and the Shekinah glory was like the sun shining in all its power at midday. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first, I am the last absolute deity, the son of God, the ever living one, living in and beyond all time and space. I died, but see, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of absolute control and victory over death and of Hades, the realm of the dead. And so I just share all of this because I feel like there's there's something for me in it, but I feel like for each of you, for each of us, there are places where God's calling you to surrender these keys. And some of them, like we've been talking about, may be good and right things of promises of God or dreams in your heart or homes or marriages or futures or finances. And in God's saying, would you give me that key? Let me unlock the door. Let me work in this place. And so um, I'm going to pray for us, but just a way that I'd love for us to respond. For some of you, this is going to be something between you and the Lord that there's a there's a transaction that needs to happen in your hearts. And so I just invite you as we we're going to go ahead and stand um, to to do that with the Lord. And then some of you need to come and put it before someone in our community. And so we're going to have people at the front to pray with you and believe with you. And it may be. Um, just an act of saying I'm I'm sharing this I'm putting it out there I'm voicing it and I need the accountability and I need someone alongside me to believe and so um let's go ahead and stand and I'm going to pray over us and just invite y'all to respond however the Holy Spirit's leading you so um let's just put our hands out and um God, I thank you for each of these people in here. Lord, just as we stand, you know every single story. You know every single heart. You know the very thoughts in each one's mind right now. Lord, you know the places and the keys in our body that need to be handed over to the King, to the Holy One, to the Righteous One, to the Son of God who's worthy who is worthy of our keys, who's worthy of our oars, who's worthy of our very lives, Lord. You are our authority and we say together, collectively, we honor you, we bow at your feet, Jesus, and just say, God, we we surrender to you. God, we surrender anything in our hearts and lives where there's a hold on control, where there's this perceived control that we have and we cast it at your feet. It says that people cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus because he is the worthy lamb. He is the one who's come. And just say, Holy Spirit, would you release things now? Would you work in our hearts, God, not to go through the emotions of letting go, but truly to be open-hearted, open-handed to you with all we've been given, Lord. Would you help us to lay it at your feet and to release God? And thank you, Jesus, that you are working. Thank you that you are on the move, Lord. And if we could have this staff and overseers just to come on up. I think most of you all are up here, but y'all just be free to come and to pray or to speak with God now on what's on your hearts. Oh,
0: yeah, so we're gonna go ahead and just encourage you to respond in whatever way, whether that's a personal prayer or coming up and just saying, hey, here's my key. Here's my or, here's what I want. Um, prayer for. And so let's just encourage you, let's respond to this moment and not let it pass us by and be a people that say, yes, I will go. Um, Also, uh, on a practical note, if you have uh, kids in the kids ministry, just to honor them, if you can have one parent, go and pick up your kid, but we want to have this place be uh, just uh, um, reserved just for people meeting with the Lord. So let's worship.